Hello, I'm Claire Harvey, Editorial Director at The Australian and host of our daily news podcast, The Front. Today, Coroner Greg Kavanagh is expected to deliver his findings on a case that's captivated us all. We're publishing into the feed today's episode of The Front, with Caroline Graham updating us all on the disappearance of Paddy Moriarty. To hear more on this case and daily updates from The Australian, search for The Front wherever you listen to your podcasts. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Thursday, April 7. Noel Pearson says Indigenous Australians are slavish Labor voters and they expect Anthony Albanese to take the voice to Parliament to a referendum in his first term of government. Pearson says he's confident a referendum would succeed and whichever party wins, voters should get the chance to enshrine Indigenous representation in the Constitution. Pearson says Indigenous people are part of Labor's base vote and the party must respect their wishes. Petrol heads, start your engines. All the drama and burning rubber of Formula One is back in Melbourne with the long-awaited return of the Grand Prix. The track is faster, the city is fighting to hang on to the prestige event and local hero Daniel Ricciardo is desperate to prove he was right to join McLaren. Our reporter, Angelica Snowden, is trackside and joins us soon. But first, a coronial inquest in the Northern Territory has heard stunning new evidence about a case that's familiar to the Australian's audience. The smash hit Lost in Larimer podcast explored the baffling disappearance of a man named Paddy Moriarty from the tiny outback town. The coroner began examining the case in Catherine yesterday and late in the day, an absolute bombshell dropped. In a moment, I'll be joined by two journalists who know this case better than anyone. On December 16, 2017, a man named Paddy Moriarty, aged 71, disappeared from the remote outback community of Larimer, population 12. He's never been found and nor has his dog, Kelly. Facing up to the fact that Paddy and his Kelpie Kelly probably aren't coming home hasn't been easy for anyone. We miss him. We we miss Paddy. He's like something missing around the pub. He, He lived here. Well, didn't live here, but he was here, you know. Oh, we miss Paddy. I miss Paddy. I really do. That was the Walkley Award-winning podcast Lost in Larimer, made by journalists Kylie Stevenson and Caroline Graham, who also wrote a book, Larimer, about the case. Caro, who was Paddy Moriarty and what happened to him? Yeah, I mean, in many ways, he wasn't um, a super extraordinary man. I think if he hadn't disappeared, he would have been remembered quite fondly by a lot of people as a man who lived in Larimer for quite a long time. You know, he was charismatic. He told a great story. But, you know, really someone who'd spent a lot of his life in, in pubs telling wild yarns. So in that sense, perhaps his life wouldn't have been so remarkable. But as you say, what happened was that he went missing in December 2017 and the disappearance is quite mysterious. He and his dog Kelly left the Pink Panther, the pub in Larimer. They travelled a very short distance across the highway to their house. We know they made it home because his hat, his wallet, his keys and everything were at home. There was food on the table waiting to be heated up. There was food for Kelly the dog. There's no signs of an obvious kind of struggle or anything like that and nobody has seen them since. When you guys started investigating the case, did the police have a prime suspect or or any suspects? 
Certainly right from the outset, there were a number of people in town who were friends with Paddy who suspected foul play. Police were very quick also to say that they suspected foul play. The circumstances of the disappearance, I think, made it pretty clear that that Paddy had every intention of coming back home, that if he'd stepped out, that he'd only stepped out for a moment or two. And certainly there were a number of people in town who were pointing the fingers at other residents. But I guess one of the things that's been peculiar about this from the outset is that because of, you know, kind of the landscape and the number of things that can kind of go wrong in a place like Larimer, where you've got sinkholes and wildlife and it's on a major highway, it has been quite difficult for police to concretely rule some of those occurrences out. Caro, the coronial hearing started yesterday and we first heard from a witness who said Paddy may have been murdered in a contract killing and he even invoked another very famous Northern Territory mystery, the disappearance of backpacker Peter Falconio. What was that all about? Yeah, so there were actually two new witnesses yesterday who we hadn't heard from before. Um, the first witness did connect it to the disappearance of Falconio. And look, that's the sort of allegation that comes up reasonably commonly in the Territory. And police were pretty quick to kind of suggest that there might not be anything to that. But as part of that, he also suggested that he and a friend that he knew quite well um, had run into Fran Hodgetts, who was one of Paddy's nearest neighbours in Larimer, and he alleged that she had offered him money, essentially. I think the words he used were to get rid of Paddy. And then we heard some recorded audio of a man named Owen Laurie. Who was he talking to and what did he say? Owen Laurie was Fran Hodgett's caretaker gardener. He'd been living in Larimer, I think, for about four months before Paddy disappeared. So he was kind of living there and doing work on the garden in exchange for room and board. And the recordings that were played today were recordings that police had obtained secretly through a listening or recording device. Some of them are kind of muttering, some of them are singing, some of them are speaking. But over the course of the eight recordings, which kind of take place over six months following Paddy's disappearance, you can hear a man talking about killing Paddy, saying things like, I killerated him, I bashed him on the head, I killed him with a claw hammer, talking about killing a dog, suggesting that they couldn't find the body and therefore could not find him. Um, so really quite explosive revelations at the inquest yesterday. I will say that Owen Laurie did exercise his right not to comment on those and not to incriminate himself. And he did claim in court that the voice was not his. There's something very moving about the fact that the dog disappeared too, isn't there? It's one of those things that is really heartbreaking. And everyone who knew Paddy sort of talks extensively about how much he cared about his dogs, that he was always with the dog by his side. He always taught it tricks. Um, you know, it really was very much a huge part of his life. And I know that lots of people knew both Kelly, who was quite a new dog, but Rover, his previous dog, was really well known around the Territory as well. Coroner Greg Kavanagh will deliver his findings today, which is uh, is quite remarkable. Often these things drag on f- for ages, don't they? What do you think you'll find? 
In many places, everything about this inquest has been really strange. They started the inquest very quickly because so many of the other residents in Larimar are in ill health and ageing. And so it's been a couple of years since the first part of the inquest. Look, it's it's hard to say what, what is going to be handed down. I know that Greg Kavanagh is on the cusp of retirement, so I think he's been keen to see this case through. But it is possible. I mean, we were thinking early on that this might be an open finding, and I think that it is definitely possible that they want, might make a recommendation that it's possible that they'll recommend that an arrest might be made or that a particular suspect might be pursued. Kylie Stevenson and Caroline Graham's podcast Lost in Larimer is available to binge right now wherever you get your podcasts and at theaustralian.com.au. Coming up, my colleague Yoni Bashan is getting fired up already about the Grand Prix. He's speaking to our Melbourne reporter, Angelica Snowden. Drivers are days away from hitting the track in Melbourne at the first Formula One race in Australia since the pandemic struck in early 2020. Our reporter Angelica Snowden has been following the competition's return closely. Angelica, the Grand Prix is about to start on Sunday and it seems the excitement is very much building. What's the energy like in Albert Park? Yeah, it's really exciting. All of the fences have been set up around Albert Park in Port Melbourne. As far as tickets are concerned for this event, you know, Saturday and Sunday general admission tickets are completely sold out. We're looking at like 130,000 people every day, each day on the weekend. But, you know, there's um, a lot of talk about this being a record crowd across the weekend, potentially even more than 1996 when the race first came to Melbourne. So what can we expect on the track this Sunday? I think we can expect a fierce competition. So the track has been redeveloped for the first time in a number of years and apparently it's going to make laps about five seconds faster and there's more overtaking opportunities and um, sort of other technical changes that have been made. So I think it's going to be a different race to what we've seen in Melbourne so far, a little bit more exciting maybe. Even yesterday, people are shouting it. I'm just like walking along minding my business and they're like, do a shoey. I'm like, I don't actually just take my shoe off while I'm walking in the street and drink out of it. It's a big home series for motorsports golden boy, Daniel Ricciardo. He's a big personality, a bit of a larrikin character. How much pressure would he be feeling ahead of the weekend? Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo is a massive personality in Formula One and he's somebody who most Australians would know about. I think whether or not they're interested in motorsport or not. He's probably best known for doing a shoey when he won. I think um, what we're going to see this year is a lot of push and I think he's going to remain competitive in Formula One. He came out and acknowledged that his first two races this season, he felt McLaren hadn't been competitive, but there's been a number of technical changes to the cars this year and they're still working that out as they go. He's very relatable and he's obviously talented in the sport. Melbourne has long been the envy of other states for its calendar of lucrative international events, but for the last two years, the state has gone without the Grand Prix and perhaps most hurtfully, it's been forced to watch AFL Grand Finals played in Brisbane and Perth. The cancellation of the Grand Prix two years running was a particularly bitter blow and one that Premier Daniel Andrews was keen to avoid repeating. 
Angelica, this will be one of the first major international events to take place in Melbourne now that COVID-19 is almost out of mind. What does an event like the Grand Prix mean to Melburnians? This event was one of the very first major events in Victoria to be cancelled at the start of the pandemic in 2020. And it was a pretty spectacular cancellation. It was people arriving at the gates being told that they would be let in, but then it was cancelled at the very last minute and they couldn't enter at all. So if you put it in that context, I think it's really exciting. We obviously in Melbourne have had a series of lockdowns, I think six over the past two years. And this event heralds the return of major events in the city. There's been some debate about where to slot the Australian Grand Prix on a calendar that keeps expanding. Is there a risk of Melbourne losing the Grand Prix? I'm not sure if there's a risk of Melbourne losing the Grand Prix altogether, but I know that there has been a little bit of competition between Sydney and Melbourne, as there usually is when it comes to major sporting events like this. I think, you know, last year, the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet had come out again and said, you know, who wouldn't want the Grand Prix to be in Sydney. So from that point of view, there's a risk that Sydney will vie for the race. Melbourne's contract finishes in 2025. As far as I'm aware, there's no plans that have been locked in post-2025. And Angelica, I have to ask, but any predictions of who will take the grand prize this weekend? I hope it's Daniel Ricciardo. That's a little bit of a cop-out though. But, um, you know, I, I reckon it, it'll be Charles Leclerc from Ferrari. He's been pretty dominant so far this season and I reckon he'll be out for it again. Angelica Snowden is a reporter with The Australian and she was speaking to Yoni Bashan. The Australian's e-commerce summit is on today. It's an all-day streaming event and the headline speakers include Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify. He'll take us inside the $120 billion e-commerce giant and he says it's never been easier to start a business and reach customers without having to sell your house or share your upside with marketplace tech giants like eBay and Amazon. You can join the summit and read all our journalism right now at theaustralian.com.au.